Everything in life is a sale. Everything you want is a commission. Rise up. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Rise Up Sales Podcast. We are on episode four, uh, believe it or not. And today, man, I'm so pumped about today. We got an awesome uh, show for you today. I have another guest on with me. Um, I am with the one and only Jason Posnick. He is a doggy daddy of, Christ, what do you got, like three dogs now? Three dogs, no kids. <laughs> Hockey daddy, three. Um, you also might find him being a working as a um, uh, sales manager for one of the more up and coming realty companies, pretty much anywhere. Uh, Chinati Realty Group in Chelmsford. Chelmsford is the main office. Yeah, Chelmsford the main office down in Massachusetts. So, Jason, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for um, taking some time to uh, chop it up today and. Let's get right into it, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you uh, tell us a little bit more? What you're doing now on, a, I guess, a day to day basis? Yeah. So first of all, dude, love what you're doing. Thank you for having me on. Um, anyone that. who doesn't know me, if you go look me up on Facebook, you will see my Facebook lives. You Google will see me, groups. bro. Look <laughs> me up. No, but I, I love this stuff and building a brand for yourself and what you're passionate about is super super important. So props to you, dude. A lot of people are scared because of what people will think or say or post on social media about what you're doing. So yep. props to you for creating this this page for decorated successful salespeople and those who want to be that. Love um, yeah, I mean, there's not much to say. So I work with Chinati Realty Group. We're a team of 34 realtors. Shameless plug right here. If you want to buy or sell a home in Merrimack Valley or New Hampshire, give us a call. But we do things a little bit different. So all the realtors on our team are full-time, completely dedicated and devoted, not just to selling homes and making money, but to actually developing themselves in their sales skills. So I run the team uh, with Lisa, who's a phenomenal mentor. I would call her a boss, but she would slap me. But she just, she keeps me going. She built this, this thing that has just evolved into what it is today. And where we're going is really exciting. That's great, man. So speaking of growth and where you guys are going, dude, even before we started recording, we were just kind of chatting. I mean, the landscape of this, um, you know, this place you're at now is really changed in the last, what, year? Yeah. 18 months. When did you start with them? And um, tell us a little bit where, where the company was when you started and where you are now. So when I started, so I have no real estate background. And Lisa and I actually joked. Um, we've all seen Facebook memories. We were talking about this earlier. Yeah. One came up and it was a picture of Lisa and the team right before I joined. And we both looked at it and chuckled in a way because it's so different from what it is now. Yeah. The people were not the right fit for the culture, for the team. They didn't see the vision. They didn't buy in. And we went from being nine agents eight if you don't count um, Lisa, to 34 agents we're all producing. Damn. And the culture is just – real estate has forever been very individualistic. I'm sure sales in general, right? Any industry I've all been right, in. I'd say real estate specifically for sure. Yeah. I mean you go into an office. It's usually quiet. People don't help each other. And this team isn't like that. These guys and girls on this team genuinely want to help each other and they want to make sure that everybody on the team is successful. So that's – to me, so fulfilling. It makes me so grateful every day. Mm -hmm. um, last year, we did 212 units closed. Lisa was directly responsible for 102 of them. And this year, we've already closed 217. Nice. Um, Lisa's closed 12. She's out of production. The team is growing. We've got a new office opening. It's fucking awesome. That's 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 dope, man. That's awesome to hear. Um, with that being said, though, I mean, I've known you personally for a while. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this show obviously know you. But it's not like, you know, you graduated 
and just jumped into this position. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you went to school, you know, your first jobs out of school and kind of how it led you to where you are today. So I'm going to preface this by saying I love sales now yeah. and I absolutely love what I do. But as you know, Dan, my first job out of school was as a membership fitness counselor, membership sales, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because that was – it wasn't the best experience for me, but I was very successful at it and mm-hmm. it taught me the fundamentals of sales. It taught me building rapport, mirroring and matching actually bringing value to people on a personal level rather than just kind of a blanket statement. Um, and I love fitness. To this day, yeah. I love fitness. I try to keep myself very physically fit and mentally sound. Um, but yeah, I mean, at Best Fitness, I won top membership rep for the entire company my first year, um, was then promoted to operations manager, which I love because coming from the Citadel, I was a rank holder. It was a military school. Um, yeah, my, real quick, talk about the Citadel a little bit. That's not your traditional college no, experience not. for sure. So my ego was massive, right? Nice. And so at the Citadel, when I was a knob, you know, a freshman. Wait, wait, what was massive? It's, it's a little bit smaller. <laughs> More now. massive. Gotcha. More massive, yeah. Um, no, so I was a knob. I was, I'm very competitive. I always wanted yeah. to be the best. You know, I wanted to not outshine the others, but I wanted to make sure that I was seen, known, and heard. 100%. Um, so at the Citadel, I've always carried rank. I was company XO in my senior year. I saw myself getting out of school and being a VP, a CEO, Whatever it may be. Um, well, real that, quick, dude, what made you go that direction towards a citadel, towards a traditional college experience? I would have failed out of college. I would have partied my butt off mm-hmm. and I would have failed out. I've always been innately pretty disciplined and organized, but I also give in very well to what my surroundings are and what my environment is. And whenever I would come home from breaks, I would go to UNH and visit you and right, right, all the right. other guys and we would go nuts. Um, so I needed that discipline and I wanted it. I wanted to push myself and see what I could do. And the Citadel for me was a massive, massive culture shock. It was a massive learning opportunity. You know, knob year, they break you down, right? I was nobody. I was right. nothing. I wasn't the best anymore. I wasn't an athlete. I was just another bald knob with big eyebrows. That was it. And they're still really big to this day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I carried leadership and my mentor at the Citadel was actually Colonel Paul B. Donahoe. Okay. And um, he was in charge of the Marine ROTC contingent. And I was on a Marine Corps um, scholarship, and essentially I ended up not being able to serve due to pancreatitis and medical issues, but I still trained with the Marine Corps unit, um, maxed the physical fitness test, maxed the, com- maxed the combat fitness test, um, and took part in all the daily activities. Went through o- um, OCS, OCS pre-Bulldog, right. all that good stuff. I mean, but, not to mention you're going to school. Right, and I had an education. Classes. I had a free education, so that was awesome. Right. Um, Right. But shout out student always, loans. Shout out student loans. My <laughs> wife's still paying them. Yeah. Uh, but one thing he always said that still to this day I say is a leader's job is not just to lead, but it's to make sure that those underneath them or those that work with them are sound personally, professionally, emotionally, and spiritually. And at the time, being an 18, 17-year-old kid, I was like, this is fucking, this is silly. Yeah. But now I hear it and I hear myself saying it and it means so much to me. And so I try to guide my leadership based on how he led us as punk ass, you know, 17, 18, 19 year old kids who want to be Marine Corps officers. Yep. Um, so yeah, hundred percent, man. So, um, I, I didn't mean to backtrack too much, but I think that's important, right? Like what gets us to our quote unquote first job. Cause virtually you live what 18, 20 years of life before you have your real first. And I didn't like that word job, but most people don't find their career within their first well, job. Well, let's backtrack real I quick. I think that's though. a normal point. What is the difference between a job and a career? 
to you. How much time do you got, bro? Like that's <laughs> all. Let, let's go into this later. But I've always had this saying that I find true. Oh fuck, let's go into it right now. So I think it all ties back to when people ask, um, "What do you do?" Right? I think there's two different ways you can answer the question, "What do you do?" You can say, "I work for fill in the blank X Y Z company," or "I am um, a uh, this at this company." Or you can say in your shoes, I'm a real estate agent. I sell houses. I do this. When you kind of – it all goes back to an idea of how you value yourself. If, if, if your claim to fame is you are – you work for this company as opposed to I do this for other people, I think that's the difference between having a nine-to-five job and at least being on the right track for a career. And we'll go into kind of self-branding a little bit later, but I think nowadays it's so – not easy, but there's so many opportunities to brand yourself as more than your job that if you're not taking advantage of them, then um, you know you're you're just you're just doing yourself a disservice. You know what I mean? Um, we can go into that a little later, bro. But I love where you're going with that, and I think, dude, this episode is gonna be fucking nice. It's I gonna be good, dude. Back. It's gonna be good. Um, but let's not get too far off track. So now we're back at Best Fitness, right? It's your first job after your experience with the Citadel, correct? Correct. Okay, so. Best fitness is kind of going how it's going. How do you transition from there? So kind of what I alluded to. So I won top rep in the entire company. My I know. We all year. I worked a, in the same company. So it's a kind of a. It's all right though. Dan started a little bit after I did. <laughs> but um, so after that, I did really well. And, you know, like I said, my ego was massive. And coming from leadership positions at the Citadel, my perspective of myself was way above where I actually was. And actualization, self-actualization is huge in life, right? Being cognizant of where you actually are versus where you want to be. So I got promoted to operations manager. And for a 21, 22-year-old kid, that was a big responsibility. I had 40-year-old men and women underneath me uh, working with Mm -hmm. me, but I viewed them all as working underneath me. And I was not by any means the best manager, but Profitability increased, membership increased. We did well Good. Um, to the point where I was promoted again to fix a failing gym in Chelmsford. And that's where kind of everything went sideways. And I realized this was not what I wanted to do. Um, okay. It's actually funny. So I met a guy at the gym who presented himself as if he was super successful, amazing. And he wasn't another time. An employee or a No, he was a member. There. He was a member. Okay. And we had you know been in touch a bunch. He had, uh, had a phenomenal, phenomenal fitness journey um, to the point where he went from being an overweight man to competing in bodybuilding shows. Nice. But he's also a very, very well-known businessman in the roofing and restoration industry. Okay. And he offered me a role with a brand new company based out of Westminster, Colorado. The role was as a project manager. Now, titles obviously mean nothing. I was really mm-hmm. just a salesperson. Right. <laughs> Sold me on the opportunity to make all this money and then manage these people and you know, build myself up since it was a startup. I spent the next, I left Best Fitness, I spent the next nine months living on the road. I was in Tennessee, then Nebraska, Idaho, um, Kansas City. So how do you mean? What did that mean exactly? Chicago. Doing what at each place? So I started off in Tennessee and what the job entailed was literally chasing hailstorms. Hailstorm hits, damages people's roofs and sidings. Our job was to go out and knock on the door and pretty much facilitate the conversations with the insurance company to get their roof and or siding paid for. Now, what they didn't tell me was that this is a super competitive industry. Oh, hell yeah. That I would knock on a door and four other guys would knock on the same one right after. Well, you're probably competing with local companies. Yep. You're virtually – so you had virtually no 
inbound customers. You were 100% outbound. Correct. Correct. So we would pick a neighborhood based on the hail swath, the hail map, and we would go knock doors. And for the first three and a half months, the only income I had was a $500 draw from the company. And it was tough. We were paying for all of our own expenses. We were going out seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day knocking doors. And the timing wasn't right. When we left to go to Tennessee, it wasn't even hail season yet. We were following snowstorms. It so, was, so why why were these specific places chosen? So there, why Tennessee? Why this? Other so, place? middle of the U.S. Right, central yeah. U.S. is where hail typically hits. Gotcha. So that's why we kind of started in that area. Now Tennessee obviously is in central, but it's central in terms of medial point, right? Okay. Uh, I know it is East Coast ish, but we started there and we got nothing. Got no deals. Knocked a bunch of doors. Made no money. Then we went to Nebraska, middle of winter. And once again, knocking doors in the winter, you can't inspect rooms in the winter, and there was no hail. So we were legitimately <laughs> wasting our time. I signed right. one contract the entire time there for a deal that didn't even close. Nurtured the okay. hell out of this one. Yeah. But I learned a bunch of great skills. I learned how to door knock. I learned how to talk to people when I'm approaching them on their territory. Yep. And then we went to Kansas City, where there was a massive storm. I sold over uh, $3.5 million in roofs in a one-month span. Nice. I was the top salesman in all of Matt's guy. There were 135 sales reps. Um, made a ton of money. It was mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, helped a bunch of people. Yeah. And I was promoted to national sales manager. Same company. Same company. Sounds gotcha. cool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds cool. It was brutal. <laughs> so by being promoted, I actually didn't gain a base salary. Okay. And my job was essentially now to build my own team. So I ran ads on Craigslist. I paid for ads on a couple of different marketing sites, Monster, things like that. So you were campus. you on your own as far as getting the shit done? Yes. You know what I mean? So you're 100%. virtually entrepreneur at this point for somebody else. 100%. Awful. And I built it. It was awful. It, was, it wasn't awful. It was tough. But I learned well, how old are you? Like 23? At that time, 23. Perfect. I mean, is what it is. But still, I, 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 I know what you mean. So you're building your own team now. I fe- yeah, I found people. Um, you know, a lot of them weren't the right fit, but at, at this point, I just needed to build a team. So yeah. I built a team of 11 guys, and we started, like I said, in Kansas City, right in mm-hmm. Overland Park. And uh, my team continued then to sell over $5 million in the, in the next month. Okay. Um, that was awesome. Then the next storm hit in Chicago. A bunch of my team members didn't want to go to Chicago. So they quit. They left. They went home and took their money. I went to Chicago with two team members left, myself and two others. So you went from 11 down to two. Yeah. And what kind of a time frame? Uh, this is probably 40 days, 45 days. Jesus Christ. That's probably a tough job to recruit too, right? You're on oh, the road all the time. Oh, it's impossible. Yeah. It was tough. And the people I had to recruit, for example, when I was in Kansas City or yeah. Overland Park, they were from that area. Gotcha. They didn't want to end up and go to Chicago. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But Chicago was a massive storm. Um, that In that storm, I was there for three and a half months. We sold $12 million in roofs. My team was number one producing and we were the smallest team out there. The yep. reason was we just we went out as a team, we yep. knocked doors as a team, we utilized the team aspect, and we just crushed it. We so grinded. What, what was talk about knocking doors, dude? Because that's such a in my in when I hear door knocking, when I hear whatever, I picture that as such like an old, like outdated sales whatever medium, but I mean that's where you learn the grind. That's where you get out of your comfort zone. There's you know what I mean? Like so there's people who, you know, what, what's that cliche? The number one fear is public speaking, right? Yeah. I think that goes to the nth degree when you're literally knocking on someone's door. They have no, it, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that's like the epitome of a true cold call. You're face to face knocking on someone's door, virtually asking 
you're virtually a stranger asking for their money. Well, right? mind you, in this case, I'm knocking on their door after a massive storm had come Correct. Yep. I remember in Chicago, so before the storm hit, we got the maps. We drove up there two nights before it was supposed to come. Didn't yep. even know if it was coming. The night it came, it was thundering, lightning. I probably still got the video on my phone. Yep. And we saw the storm coming. We drove to the middle of the swath map of where it was going to hit. It was about 10.30 p.m. at night. We get there. And these, I'm not kidding you, Dan, hailstones, the size of a softball. Nice. We're driving through neighborhoods. Nail, mailboxes are down. Things are just cracking and going. It was when, nuts. when is this in the calendar year? This was in probably May of 2016, 2015. Holy shit. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. But so, so we got there and we're driving through these neighborhoods at night. People are outside their houses looking at it. Yeah. The next morning, 7 a.m., we show up in the neighborhoods again and we're now knocking their doors after this massive storm <laughs> saying, hey, I know you're freaking out. I know your house, your biggest investment of your life has been damaged. I'm a guy you don't know, you've never seen, and I have an accent that's not familiar to you, yep. but I want to help you. You got to trust me. And so to be able to build rapport like that off the bat yep. is tough. To be able to especially go above and beyond and go against those local contractors like you brought up yeah. is tough. But because we were so solidified in our value prop, our elevator pitches, how we pitched ourselves and presented ourselves and what we do, that we're not here to sell but we're here to serve, was a complete separation from anything else. Yep, a lot I of agree. these contractors aren't salespeople. They're contractors. They're roofing specialists. So we brought a different dynamic to the industry. Um, like I said, we absolutely smoked that storm. We crushed it, made a ton of money, helped a ton of people. Okay. And it was fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect. So this is, I knew you just throughout the year. When are we looking again? 2015? 20, no, end God. of 2014. Really? Damn. Yeah. It doesn't seem that long ago. Okay. So where do we go from there? So you're running your own team now. You just crushed the Chicago storm. Yep. Now so what's we, going on on a We smashed Chicago. Um, so I owned a house at the time. I owned a condo. And my, okay. at the time, girlfriend, now wife, was living there all alone with her little chihuahua, Otis, who I love more than anything in this world. Dude. All right. Shout out, Otis. Shout out to Otis. All right. Um, but yeah, and I got a point where I, I had been home twice in a matter of nine months. She came out to visit me once. And it just, it was taking a massive, it had, it had a big impact on our personal life and our relationship. Yep. So I spoke to the owner of Mad Sky, who at this time and I had a really, really good connection. The guy who originally recruited you. No. So he okay. actually – so funny story about yeah, him. I won't say any names. <laughs> he ended up leaving the company and uh, there was a couple of lawsuits that went between he and the company. Hmm. Sounds like a good dude. I stayed with the company and built a great relationship with the owner and founder. Um, and that was – he was my mentor while I was with them. Gotcha. Um, but so when I left, I had a lot of discussions with him and I actually stayed on board for an additional five months. Working remotely without pay to support the people I had recruited and brought on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Working remotely without pay. Yeah, so essentially I was Respect, man. That's how strong relationships can grow, dude. Well, and the people I recruited, not to be cocky, but they joined this because of me. Because they believed that I was going to get them to where they wanted. Sure. These were guys making 20, 30, 40 grand a year. I told them I would get them to 100 or more. Yeah. And we did it in a matter of five months. But I couldn't leave them high and dry. And I was the one who brought them on. I was the one who developed and coached them. Okay. So I uh, had accepted another role with a medical device company. But for the five months, the first five months I was with them, I did still answer calls for Mad Sky, customers, reps, CEO, the owner, um, gotcha. LC himself. So at this point, dude, you're working your ass off. You got to be busy as fuck. But does it work if you love it, dude? You know what I mean. I mean, your, your day-to-day is – you're swamped with all this stuff going on. So – 
what was the motive, not the motivation, but what was like, what got you into this new company? Was it just, you happened to find it and it worked out or was there any story behind it? So my father's a dermatologist. My brothers are both doctors. My mother has a PhD. And um, And then there's you. And then there's me who went to the The Citadel and wanted to go into the Marine Corps um, and is now, you know, a salesman. But uh, no, so I always knew that medical device reps made a lot of money. I was 23. Three twenty-four. I wanted to make a lot of money. So at this point, you're money motivated. Money motivated, Love strictly. It. Got you. So I uh, interviewed this company, and the regional sales manager happened to be a former Marine, um, okay. and we just hit it off, right? We had a great connection. I had no experience in medical device, but he hired me, and we grew the territory by 13% that year um, to the point where after that year, I got promoted to an actual rep from an associate. Um, and as an associate... Once again, so the territory was Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. Okay. My job as the associate was to grow the Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. And I was going to like border of Canada, Maine Jeez. to sell medical device, medical instruments really, sterile containers, laparoscopic instruments. And it was not the exciting sale that I was hoping for. I mean I was literally selling scissors, right? right. Extra sharps and dulls. I was selling – generic laparoscopic instruments, proposable scissors, things like that. But I was able to grow the territory and I ended up getting um, a couple of really large deals. The largest one was at York Hospital. It was $180,000 PO and York Hospital wasn't even a customer previously. So went in there, nurtured it for probably almost a year, um, going in there once a week, building relationships to the point where I finally saw that they had a need that I could fulfill, Okay. presented how I could fulfill it, did an optimization, and then was able to move forward. So, so real quick, I'm always curious about like what a sales cycle looks like in various industries, right? Some people are, you know, high volume every day, pick up the phone, make a hundred calls. That sounded like much more of a relationship building, close sale, whatever you want to call it. What's the typical sales cycle like in um, medical supplies or pharmaceutical? With this specific company, yep. it, it, it varied because okay. what we were selling was so general. So who, I guess like, who's like the decision maker you need to build a so I was calling on central sterile, so sterile processing departments. Okay. I was calling on OR directors. I was calling on. Um, gotcha. So you did all your own prospecting. All of it. I was just walking to hospital, right? But let's tie this back into Matt's guy. Going from door knocking yep. to walking into a hospital in a suit looking you like a You know what you're doing. Absolutely. You've done it before. But they don't know me. Correct. So I got to walk in there and I can't just go in there and say, hey, buy this, this, and this. Yep. I had to go in there and learn. I spent a lot of time, what I became really good at was I would offer these hospitals courses where I would teach them courses to the the central sterile employees or the OR employees, and they would actually get credit hours towards their licenses for attending these courses. So for the first probably five months with them when I was working in Maine, upstate Vermont, I wasn't even selling, Dan. I was literally just teaching one course after another, getting these people, these CEUs, because I'm giving, right? Gary Vee, shout out, baby. Jab, 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 right hook. Save that. That's a whole thing. We'll come back to that. But that was it, right? And I was just giving, giving, giving until they saw enough value in me as a person and as a professional to want to buy something from me and open up with me what their struggles were. And then for me to find a solution of how I could overcome it. Perfect. And at York Hospital, that opportunity presented itself. I then offered them a solution, got in front of the right people, ended up being a massive PO, the largest one in the Maine, Hampshire, Vermont territory. Purchase order. Gotcha. Yep. Um, we completely optimized their sets. We put all of their sterile instruments into containers versus wrap. 
And it helped the hospital save a bunch of money over the long run. Perfect. And here's the other thing. It's not like you're not you're not only competing for them to make a decision. You're competing for them to make a decision with you as opposed to however other many fucking reps walk in there probably every day. Correct. Every day, right? Oh, dude. The medical device slash healthcare sales industry in general is – Yeah. It's so ridiculously just – Competitive. Over, it's it's crazy. Really? There's so many companies that really sell a lot of the same thing. And yep. it's it's insane. And like taking to my next venture, I'm jumping the gun a little Let's bit. Let's go. But with Novadap, right? So Novadap was a start. So Esculap was so you went associate, from, got promoted, okay. full rep, took over Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, yep. grew at 6%, yep. just that territory the subsequent year. And then there was a bunch of changes in leadership. So my direct regional manager, the one who was in the Marine Corps, ended up leaving. Okay. He left, and then the new guy they brought in was an awesome guy, but we weren't the right fit for each other. Okay. We didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. He didn't come from a medical device background, which is funny because in real estate, I didn't come from a real estate background. Yep, yep. But anyway. Well, you didn't, you didn't come from a medical device background. for. But as a leadership salary. role. Oh, gotcha. In gotcha, a leadership gotcha. role. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so I ended up looking for other opportunities. I found Novadak. Novadak found me through a recruiter okay. and um, loved the leadership, loved the startup concept. Yep. Loved the environment. So I took a role. I took a step down. I became So when you say startup, like what are we talking exactly? Because I mean This was a new technology. Gotcha. This is a technology that was created about 12 years ago, but it was actually licensed to another company. That company wasn't selling the technology. They were utilizing it to upsell their other products. Okay. So the license ended in 2004 or 2013, and Novadec bought the licenses back. And built a sales force to now go and directly sell these products, these two products. What it was was fluorescence imaging for perfusion assessment. Okay. Worked mostly with oncologic. So What can- the hell does that mean? It, so it worked <laughs> with cancer patients. So I worked gotcha. very, very closely with um, colorectal surgeons, breast surgeons, nice. uh, plastic surgeons, GYO surgeons. Okay. And once again, what I did with Esculap, sort of the Mads guy helped me get comfortable walking into hospitals. Yep. What I did with Esculap walking into hospitals, I was going to the basement to the you know, SPD department. Now I was going to the OR to meet with the surgeons and the OR directors. Yep. So it was very different, but I had that comfort because of my past experience. And um, with Novadec, I took a step back from being a full rep to being a clinical sales specialist. And in this role, my job was essentially to be in every single operating room during cases in which they needed to use our product to coach the surgeon wow. through how they were going to use it and the best way to use it. For example, in a, you know, a bilateral mastectomy, yeah. they would use our technology to see what tissue was healthy versus what tissue had poor perfusion, poor blood flow, and was going to necrose and die. Then using our technology, I would be able to explain to them the values and what they meant to tell them how well perfusion was and what tissue to take versus what tissue to excise. Okay. So I was coaching surgeons to a degree. Um, my job wasn't really to sell. It was to coach surgeons, build that rapport, build that value, and then let the territory sales manager come in and close the deal. Gotcha. Now, talk about leadership real quick. Yep. The leadership that I had directly in that role was not the best. I ended up doing the nurturing and then also the selling. So he ended up being let go and I stepped into the territory manager role. I closed um, five new accounts in my first year with them, all of which were already bought into me and to the product. Okay. So brought a bunch into the company. I mean, this product, honestly, no bullshit, was amazing. I was super passionate about it because it actually impacted patient care. Um, But then we got bought. It was so good that we got bought. We got acquired by another company that I won't name. Yep. When the acquisition happened, I need to find them out. 
So now we're getting closer to real time, right? I, is this moving catching up? Chinati? I'm trying to. I talk a lot. I'm trying to. You know, it's all good, along. man. It's all good. This is this is good shit, man. Seriously. Um, so now we're going into Chinati, no? We're going yes. So into okay. Chinati. Yep. So real quick, let me preface this. So as we said, Chinati is a real estate firm. You work with real estate agents selling real estate, aka nothing to do with what you just talked about for the last ten minutes. Correct. Correct. So how the hell did you get to where you are now? In my interview, Lisa asked me- Whoa, before the interview, how did you meet Lisa? It's a great story. It is a great story. Actually, it's funny. Once again, we talk about who you know and how you meet them. Um, Say that again. Who you know and how you meet them? Absolutely. It's super it's, important. I think it sounds cliche at this point in whatever. It's not you know what you can do. It's who you know. Every job I've had, how to get best fitness. I knew you. You were up with an interview. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I didn't know how to sell. I, I killed went to it though for education, dude. Killed it. I didn't know anything about. I mean, I worked out. But I didn't think about real fitness, real selling, whatever it is. You know, find someone who you want to work with and, and go from there. So, anyway, sorry, dude. Go ahead. So, how did you meet Lisa? So I met Lisa. Um, she, we want to sell our condo, right? So the number okay. one reason people sell a home is that they see somebody else in their neighborhood or a building or a unit, whatever it may be, selling for a profit. Okay. So I was walking my little Chihuahua Otis one day, yep. and I saw my neighbors, and they said, hey, we're moving, we're sold. I said, oh, what'd you sell for? They told me, and I said, holy shit, I've seen the inside of their condo. Mine is way nicer. So we went to uh, get a evaluation of our property, of the condo, and Lisa was the first one to respond. She had amazing speed to lead. She brought value, so she came over that night. Nice. And I am probably the easiest sale in the world. I'm a massive driver, and we'll talk about disc profiles. I think profiles. most salespeople are. Yeah, we'll I've talk about disc profiles like in a little bit. But um, she signed yeah. me that night. She sold my condo successfully for $50,000 over what I paid for it. Nice. She helped us find the house that we're sitting in right now nice. here in Merrimack, New Hampshire. And that was kind of the end of it, right? Like we built okay. a great relationship. Typical she real estate transaction things. is what it is. Got it you. wasn't typical. She went above, above well, and beyond. I know, I know. But, but I mean, as far as, as, far as you know what I mean, the next steps going forward. Correct. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, we kept in touch very little, right? Like we invited her to our holiday party. She invited us over a few times. Cool. But none of those meetups ever actually happened. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it was an early June morning. Make this sound dramatic Let's as possible. Go. All right. And we got an email from Novadak that we were being sold. Okay. We then were told over in that email? email. Over email. Damn. And dude. in that email, it said there would be a conference call held at 9 a.m. Oh, East okay. Coast time. With the owner of Lease Vehicle. That's like getting dumped over a text, dude. But at least get it, it doesn't get any better, though, because it wasn't <laughs> personalized. So this conference call was the owner of the company who came on. And mind you, our national sales meeting was three months prior. Right. In that sales meeting was all of this rah-rah stuff about we won't sell. We're going to change the industry. We are market disruptors. Yep. And we're killing it. So let me get this call. He's clearly reading off a script. Super <laughs> monotoned yeah. about how we're all going to have jobs. And it's going to be the best move for us. And I just didn't buy it. Yeah. So I immediately after that call hopped on to Monster, Indeed, LinkedIn, messaged wow. a bunch of people. I knew I had to have an After answer. you just bought a house. Just bought a house. Yeah. That's not stressful. We were getting married the following October. Yep. Um, October when? October 14th. Shout out October 14th. Thank God I right. did not. Oh, you got married then too. I Hell didn't yeah. stutter then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and the first listing that popped up was sales manager Chinati Realty Group. Oh, cool. And I was sitting on my couch in the living room and I screenshotted it, sent it to my wife, yep. said, what do you think? Should I even apply? She said, yeah, do it, whatever. So I sent in my resume. I texted Lisa directly um, and we met and grabbed coffee two days later. And essentially, I didn't realize what she was building. I don't think she realized it at the time either. Yep. Um, and she interviewed multiple people and just none of them to her were the right fit. And 
I'm going to preface this by saying that I look up to Lisa hugely. She's an amazing leader, even though she'll never admit it. Yeah. She is a super smart businesswoman, and she's got super high standards. And I did not meet them for the longest time, and we'll get into that. But got together, decided it was a good fit, so I started going to the office five days a week and trying to lead, coach, and motivate people who had been in real estate for seven to ten years, and I knew nothing. Right. Nothing. So basically, I mean, I assume a role like that, you virtually sold yourself as opposed to selling skills that are written on a resume. Well, you sold, you didn't even sell yourself. You continually just developed that relationship you build with someone from when you met her, when you bought your house. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's it. There's, I mean, there, I assume there's nothing on your resume that had to do with real estate sales. You couldn't say, Hey, I sold this many houses last year. This is how you should hire me. Not even sell, but you know what I mean? I trained this many realtors to mm-hmm. sell this many houses. There's no... There's no tangible, you know what I mean, numeric evidence, um, you know, to say, oh my God, this is a no brainer. This is the guy. It was all you as a person, you as an opportunity to take this company to whatever goals you guys were looking at at the time. So it was culture. So that's awesome, dude. It was 100%. culture. It was culture. And Lisa, like I said, is super smart and she was cognizant of what her weaknesses were, right? Which okay. were, she's very blunt, very direct. I, on the other hand, am a cheerleader. Right. Okay. If you do anything decently, I'm going to pump you up for it. Then I'm going to challenge you to do it again and do it better. Yep. Consistently. Right. And so she needed somebody to come in and kind of create a culture of positivity and a culture of success and just an environment conducive to success. Right. And to teamwork. Gotcha. Um, and I think she saw that in me, and I think that what we've built to this day is proof of that it works. Um, but yeah. So stepping into it. I knew nothing. And the core I'm going to share with you so guys. So right how did now, that feel, dude? Was that, was that, were you scared? Were you strapped? I mean. Oh, dude, I was terrified. And right. to make it even worse, I'm the youngest person in the room. Yep. And I'm trying how, to coach these people. Now? 29. I mean, I mean, at the time. Like 28. 27, 28. 20. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, um, definitely still young. And yeah, I'm trying to coach these people and brought on a few of my own, you know, interviewed and hired. And I got, I had no buy right? They didn't like, they liked me as a person. They didn't like me in the leadership role. Um, and I got my first piece of buy-in when I figured out that I don't need to sell real estate. I need to sell sales. And so I coached an agent who had been in the industry for longer than I had on a call and she was having issues meeting with clients. She was having issues bringing value. So I said to her, Victoria was her name. Okay. I said, um, let's, let's role play. Right. And the role play that we went over, the script we went over was not booking a showing, but booking a consult. And if somebody doesn't commit to coming to the office to meet with you, have them meet at a coffee shop around the corner 10 minutes before the showing so you can really introduce yourself and create that relationship. She did that and she signed multiple buyer agreements after that by using that strategy versus just booking a showing, which then makes you a conduit to see a home. It makes you a tool. So that was my first piece of buy-in, right? And once that happened, I learned a lot from it. And when was this as far as how long you were in your role? Probably a month and a half in. Okay. A month and a half in, but... There was, I mean, there were some tough times. So my sure. first, after my first month, I really just shadowed Lisa and spent time with the team. Yeah. We went to Las Vegas together for a conference, Tom Ferry Summit, right? And I learned a ton. So we're at this conference and every time I would learn something, I would send it back to the team. Guys, we got to implement this. We got to do this. Gotcha. But they knew I didn't know anything. I was just stealing the stuff and presenting it. Right. So not only did they not buy into it, but they hated it. And we got back in this conference with nine or eight agents, not counting Lisa. Yeah. And four of them quit. Four of the producing agents quit. Four out of how many? Four out of eight. 
Half your team gone. Yes. Nice. And I had like a massive, I was broken, right? I thought I had ruined Lisa's company. Mm -hmm. I thought that I was ruining these, these real estate agents lives. I wasn't bringing value Mm -hmm. and I got in my own head and I actually thought about leaving for a minute. Really? I thought about leaving. I'm sure Lisa thought about firing me. We (laughs) joke to this day that I was bad in the beginning. Sure. But we've both come so far, and it's so amazing to see in one year how far we've come, in five more how far are we going to go. And so those people left, and in that moment, it was just – I was broken. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, they weren't the right fit. They didn't buy into the vision. They weren't there for the right reasons. And what we built now would have never happened if they hadn't left. Perfect. So, I mean, I mean that's awesome. I mean that's how – that's not a yes. It's it's a it's a good story, but the like the more like people you read about stories you hear, it's not a unique story, man. Everybody, all the the real successful people are the ones who can kind of weather through that storm, right? You considered, you know, you you realized that this was not going well at the time, right? Mm-hmm. You could do one of two things: you could quit, do something else, or fight through some adversity. Believe in what you were looking to achieve as far as a culture and growth, and stay that path. Obviously, you made the right choice because it sounds like right now you guys are kicking ass and dominating left and right. Um, so that's awesome. And that's a, that's a great motivating story to hear, especially when we think back to the last, whatever, 10, 15 minutes of this conversation of all the other shit, dude, that you used to do and used to go through. Traveling to fucking Tennessee, knocking on doors in Chicago after a, a crippling hailstorm where families might have just lost the biggest investment of their life, right? Leads you back to where you are today. And obviously, you're doing well now. Sounds like you like what you're doing. It's crazy. I'm actually now, Lisa and I, she asked me the other day, she goes, are you passionate about real estate now? Yep. And I said, yes. I Perfect. love real of course estate. Of you are, dude. Because I love the clients. And I love I love my team. And they will tell you that. I will tell you that. They mean the world to me. So so I was, you, I was just going to ask you what, do you, what would you say like most about your job now? I love my team. Right. I love the people that I get to go into an office and work with daily. When I, I, was, when I was in medical device, I was remote. Yep. Yep. I was on an island. It was just me. Conference calls once a week. Yeah. Talk to my manager every other day, but it was me. And now I wanted to go back into an office. I wasn't sure if I would like it, but the culture that we've created is amazing. And we work really hard. Yeah. Our agents work really hard. We play hard. I mean, you have to. You look at the growth you've had, unless you don't get that shit from not working hard. Right. But they play hard too. Like we we presented our team with a challenge in the middle of June. To get an extra hundred thousand dollars in GCI, which is gross commission, okay, by July, and they hit it. Nice. So we rented a party bus to Foxwoods. We packed the bus with booze and water and snacks and whatever else. Went to Foxwoods. We gave every single agent a hundred dollar bill to go and gamble, have fun. Really? Yeah. Nice. That's rented awesome, out man. lanes at high rollers. Had food. Went bowling. But they loved it. And they didn't just love it because we were on a party bus going to Foxwoods. They liked being with each other. Sure. The, this culture, this environment that we've created is the most special thing about it. And that is my favorite thing about this team. Well, it's team sports versus individual sports, right? I mean, people tend to go one way or the other. You know what I mean? You can be Tiger Woods and dominate an individual thing and not have a friend in the clubhouse. Or you can be, you know, we're both big Pats fans. You can be, you know, Brady, Edelman, Gronk, and mm-hmm. at the time, RIP, Amendola. But you know what I mean? It's like, it just depends what you want to do and what really drives you and motivates you. Well, when looking at the industry though, right? Real estate's super individualistic. Anybody. Correct. We said that earlier. Anybody yep. can get a license. Yep. It's a 40-hour course and a test. Yep. You don't need a college degree. You don't need a high school degree. 
Yep. Right? And so an issue with the industry is that anybody can get it, but not everybody can do it. The failure rate in real estate is 85%. 85% of agents who get into real estate fail and quit in their first year. Now, conversely, the average salary, the average amount of money a realtor makes is $48,000 a year. That is not enough for a living, especially when you don't take into account that these people aren't paying taxes. They're 1099 individual contributors. But what we've done through our systems, our processes, our support, our accountability, and our team is we take people who have made 30, 40, 50 grand a year before, Mm -hmm. and we give them all the tools, training, support they need to make 100, 200, 300K. Gotcha. So with that being said, I mean, that, that's, that's all great to hear. Um, what would you say are some of your biggest challenges at this point? They're not employees. I cannot legally yep. tell them anything they have to do, when they have to be in the office, for how long, or how many calls they have to make. For example, this weekend, right, we track everything. When you track and measure, everything gets better. Yep. We track all of our stats to a T. Okay. And we found... But there's a direct correlation, obviously, this isn't rocket science, right. to amount of hours prospecting to amount of GCI brought in. So I challenge my team to average 30 hours per day, every day through the month of August, prospecting. One hour a person, less than that. Right. Yesterday, Friday in team meeting, we were at 25.6 hours average. So what does prospecting in real estate look like? Phone calls, right? So we yeah. buy leads for our agents. So calling their leads, okay. going deep and not wide, really building that rapport and understanding what a person's goals are in buying or selling, and then creating an individualized and personalized solution to that. Um, it could be we have a cold call dialer that we utilize as well, where they can hop on that anytime they want. Okay. So challenging them to this one hour a day in the beginning of the month, we're falling short. So on Friday, I challenge them to this weekend, each do two hours a day this weekend, because the weekends were where we were failing. And then to get at least an hour and a half every day the rest of the month. But I can't say you have to go do this. Right. So I created bingo sheets. We had bingo cards for different things. Screaming baby in the background, told to go F off, already working <laughs> with an agent. But I told them, here are the bingo sheets. Anybody who fills up a bingo sheet gets a $100 gift card to wherever they want. Gotcha. Anybody who gets a bingo gets a $25 gift card to wherever they want. You can take as many sheets as you want. So it's finding ways to motivate them to do things because I cannot tell them you have to do this. I have to prove that what I'm telling them to do is going to make them more successful, more money. And that's not easy, Dan. So buy-in and and culture is literally all you have on your side. That's it. That's it. Love it. Um, Nice, man. Like, listen, I want to – we could go all day into kind of what you're doing now uh, in real estate. I kind of like to turn it back a little bit to more like on a personal level, right? So we talked earlier, I think, a little bit about uh, personal branding in today's world. And even if it's not personal branding, you know, company branding, whatever, however you want to look at it. And there's so many, dude, there's so many avenues to do this now, whether it be Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, YouTube, podcasts like this shit, like whatever you want to do. Uh, talk a little bit about the importance of personal branding in today's world and how you you used it to your advantage and how your team's kind of bened- benefited from it as well. Because I'll tell you, man, I like I follow you on Facebook. You have, you know, it sounds like all your individual agents are kicking ass, building their old building their own brand, but tying it all back to the team as well. So why don't you talk about that for a little bit? If you're not branding yourself, if you're not putting yourself out there publicly mm-hmm. in this on-demand tech-enabled world that we live in right now with Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, then you're wrong right. and you're limiting yourself. I think it's just at this point, it's, 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 there's no excuse 
There's not an excuse to. not to be able to do it and then not to do it. But I mean, it's scary. It is. It's, it's it all comes down to comfort zone, right? So my day three of onboarding, guess where I make all of my agents do? I would say either make a video or a blog post or something on their own putting it out there. They have to go on Facebook Live yep. and do their one-minute elevator pitch, which is a response to when somebody asks you, why are you in real estate or what do you do? Perfect. Rather than just, I sell homes, it's that commercial, right? It's that midnight infomercial about the hose that automatically recoils and uncoils itself. You yeah. feel like it's talking to you. <laughs> yeah. I have them do that. Present a hook, which is the problem, yep. a solution, which is them, and then a call to action, right? So I have them do that in a video on day three, and everyone rolls their eyes. Yep. They say, no, I'm not going to do that. I hate this. But you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable to be successful in sales. 100%. So if you're not branding yourself, you're wrong. And some things I do, so... Like you mentioned, like you alluded to, I do a bunch of Facebook Live videos. Yep. I'm in a number of organizations from Tom Ferry, which is a real estate what, center. What about the first time you did a video or put yourself out there? What was that like? It was brutal. It sucks, I hate right? doing videos yeah. to this day. Well, what would we say? Number one fear is public speaking. And I mean, even, dude, even what we're doing right now, we're literally sitting at a table talking to each other, trying to spread some value to whoever is listening to this. This is uncomfortable for 99.9% of the people out there. 100%. You know what I mean? And what are we doing? We're having a conversation like we've been doing every time we see each other for the last 10, 15 years, however long we've known each other. Just hanging out, dude. Seriously. I mean, but I think I think the way video is gone, I think video is definitely um, – I think video is the way to go now just because it's not something you could do, what, 10, 15 years ago. It's just so unheard of. When YouTube first came out, it was like, holy shit. Like the, every, anyone on YouTube was either a celebrity or it was – is what it is. You can literally take your phone, flip the camera to face yourself, and put your message out there to hundreds, thousands of but people. Take it a step Why further. wouldn't you do that? Look at the algorithm of Facebook. Correct. What are the posts that they force to the front? It's video, but what video? Live. Yeah. If you do a live video, it automatically gets broadcasted to all of and, your friends. And you'll get and no, you'll get a notification too. Right. So why wouldn't you do that? It's just or fear. or at least don't go to your manager or whoever and bitch about you know, why, you know, I'm not getting in front of enough people or prospecting is hard. Dude, do the easy shit first and the rest will come to you. Do the stuff that you can control, right? I talk about that a lot. Be focusing on what you can control. You can, and I know you talked about it too with your team and prospecting. Dude, focus on activity. The rest will fall in the Great place. quote. Great quote for that. Hit me. You cannot control the wind, but you can control your sales, right? You cannot control what's going to happen in life. That's what's But up. you can control the things that you do, the activities that you accomplish on a daily basis, that's the shit that makes you successful. Not the reward at the end of the tunnel, but the things that you do on a daily basis consistently to get there. Consistency closes and allows you to close consistently. Yep. You have to do the small things all the time. You have to do them really, really well in order to be successful. Ironically though, those, those small things are the most uncomfortable. It's not, it's not normal to cold call someone out of the blue and interrupt them. It's no. not normal to knock on someone's door and ask for their money, you know, one way or the other. It's not normal or comfortable rather to get on Facebook live, put yourself out there and go from there. You're probably going to get a lot of shit for it. But, but you're probably going to get made fun. You will. I do all the time. I was at a cookout last weekend Yep. and I had two buddies who I've known forever ribbing me nonstop. When's the next Facebook live video coming out? Oh my God, your videos, this, that, and the other. And I could get frustrated, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, they're watching. They watch every video I put out. Yep. Even if it's to make fun of me, 
They're watching. So you know what that means, Dan? They hear what I'm saying. 100%. I win. And it's a numbers game. Say 100 people see that video, right? Say even go more specific. Say you're, you're a new real estate agent, right? You're getting your name out there. Say 100 people see that video. Say 90 of them just don't give a shit and move on with their life. Say eight of them are your friends and they say, oh, nice video, whatever. Give you a hard time. Say two of them, right, just got married and are on the market to buy a house. Boom. Guess what? You paid $0. You took maybe 30 seconds out of your life and you just brought on two new potential clients. But it's not even about client acquisition. So I did a video um, probably two weeks ago now. Yep. So I have a great morning routine that works for me. I wake up at 4 a.m. every single day. I go right to the gym. I do cardio. And I was watching a Jocko Willink podcast. I got amped the fuck up. Yep, we've talked about motivated. That. Yep. And so I did a video on the Stairmaster, sweat dripping down my face, wearing my glasses still, hair's a mess. Didn't care. And I had a bunch of people make fun of me for that video, right? Mm-hmm. How I looked, how I was out of breath. But one person came up to me and said, hey, I saw your video this morning and it made me go to the gym. Dude. Success. For me, that's Done, a win. Dude. 100%. So at the end of the day, you're doing the video. Yes, you're doing it for something. But as Gary Vee says, if you do things with an expectation of getting something in return, then you're a piece of shit. Yep. You have to do things for people because you know it's the right thing in you because you want to help them. And life works itself out. Well, it's also like you said about consistency. And I used to see it all the time. Back when I worked in insurance, right? I would do, I wouldn't say I did a lot of videos, but I would do more videos and more personal marketing than a lot of other people I worked with. Mm -hmm. And when you do it so infrequently, that's when you expect to get a return on that investment, right? You might make a video because it's so new. Make a video, hey, call me today for a quote, whatever. And then a week later, you're going to bitch and moan because, oh, no one reached out. This is stupid. Dude, you did it fucking once, right? Do that a hundred times and then see what happens. Do so that the, 10 times. And the see what three keys to video, social media marketing are you have to be authentic, right? Yep. You have to be genuine. Don't hire a production crew. Have a script, but don't read off of it. Be you. People want to see you. Fuck Facebook business pages. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. They want to see you and your dogs and your kids and your wife and you. Right. Right? So you have to be authentic and genuine. Step two is you have to be exciting and educational. You have to bring some sort of value every single time. Yep. And step three is to, like you said, be consistent. You, If you say you're going to post every Monday, you better post every Monday because people are looking forward to it. And if you break that promise via a video, what do they think about you on a closer What's relationship? What's the point? Absolutely. Why so go any further? You have to be consistent. You have to have the same message getting across all the time. Yep. You can't make a video one day about motivating people and positivity and the next day talk about your divorce or something. Right. Right. And really that on, I mean, that's the hardest part, really. I mean, once you do that first video or I don't know, maybe first like couple it videos, gets easier not even time. videos, even a post, dude, something about yourself, putting yourself out there. It, you're right. It gets comfortable after one, two, three times. Now the hard part is, okay, I need to do this 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, fucking 50 times. That when it, that's when it gets hard from a comfort level and just from Dude, there's only, only so many a time management level, right? Because right? if, if you're not seeing – a lot of people, they don't see an immediate return on investment. It, it just doesn't make sense for them to keep doing it. And that's just the world we live in, dude. I talk about this all the time. Shit like what's killed – what's fucking killed us is things like Net, Netflix, Amazon Prime. Like it's such an instant gratification mm-hmm. type of world that I think sales just – you know, our type of sales, customer to, or business to customer sales – just isn't there yet. That's just not how it is. You but just have to be able to go back to that relationship building, that keep pounding type of attitude. 
to get shit done. So Tony Robbins says success is 80% mindset. Are you always in the mindset to film a video? No, I don't think you have to be. So rather than filming them when you're going to do them, pick a day. Yep. Right? Pick a day of the month, maybe the middle of the month, maybe the start of the month. That is the slowest for you. Pick a day and film four or five, two to three minute videos. Right? Yep. Plan them out. And then that way, you know, that day's coming. You've got your state in the proper place. You're excited. You're enthusiastic. You want to do the videos. You film four or five back to back. You edit them. You save them. And then once a week, you just hit pause. It's a month worth of content. 100%. 100%, man. So I I wanted to go into this a little deeper, and you kind of touched on it earlier, um, about routine, right? And morning, not necessarily morning, but routine. Most people associate routine with a morning routine. I think it's important. I think it's if that's how you operate, um, that's great. But it sounds like you, a morning routine is part of your overall routine, right? So walk us through yeah. that a little bit. How did that come about and just what do you do now? So I've always been a morning person to a degree. I've always okay. woken up before eight. Okay. But it's not until the last probably two years that I wake up really early. And what's really early? I wake up at four. Yeah, um, and actually the owner of our brokerage, um, is an awesome guy and we text each other every single morning whenever we wake up, whoever wakes up first, text the other one. Yep. It's a motivational quote. It's a goal. One morning he texted me and said, where are we going to be in five years? It's accountability is where, what it is. It is. You gotta have a battle buddy, Absolutely. right? Accountability is the key to success. So Absolutely. my morning routine is that I get up and I try to not check my phone other than the text message from Bill. Yep. After I read that, I go right to the gym. I do my cardio. And I try to not check my phone for one hour after that. So you you treat your morning routine, it's it's workout related, fitness related. No, not – so I go to the gym and then I come home and I usually hop on my computer. Okay. I'll go through my agent's leads from the night before, make sure that all the proper notes are in, the follow-ups, the touches. Um, but then I spend time with my wife. Okay. Right? So I, I try to give her something in the morning. So we both work really, really hard. Yeah. Right? And so a lot of times – for example, Thursday night, she yep. got home at 6.30 – Walks in the door and I'm on the phone on a coaching call, coaching another manager in uh, San Diego. Yeah. She walks in the door and I'm on the phone. She was home for about two and a half hours. I'm still on the phone with three other people. Yeah. So this job doesn't sleep and I'm passionate about it. Yeah. So having that morning routine to spend time with her helps us, helps me, helps me get ahead on my day. No one else is up calling me or bothering me at 4, 5, 6, 7 a.m. Well, it also goes back to our time about earlier focusing on what you can control. You have much more control from four to 8 a.m. then probably 4 to 8 p.m. Right. right. So, dude, do, do what you have to do in then to set yourself up for the rest of the day. Have you ever seen the speech by Admiral McRaven, Make Your Bed? Um, I haven't watched it all the way through, but I've seen it. So, I, I everyone listening about. to this podcast, if you've made it this far in, props to you. I know we don't shut up. Yeah, why the fuck would you leave before now, dude? I don't, they must be crazy. <laughs> Look up yeah. Admiral McRaven. Respect. Texas A&M. I, think, I believe it was A&M. Uh, commencement speech. He also has a book about it called Make Your Bed. And basically what it is is make your bed every day. Yep. Because even if you have the worst day imaginable, you come home to a bed that is made. Yep. That you made. So you wake up and you have that sense of accomplishment. You've done something. Yeah. Then you come home no matter how bad your day was, you know that you've accomplished something. And I took that to my morning routine. So I try to accomplish as much as I can first thing in the morning. And that way if I get out of work and I'm too tired or I'm too busy to go to the gym and lift – I've at least gotten my car to run. You already did it. It's like you can't – It. You know There's no I mean? excuse. Absolutely. And the reason I asked you about um, you know, fitness in the morning, I'm a big – I've always been a big million-dollar listing New York guy, right? Um, 
So I'm a big Ryan Serhan guy, and I love him. And one of the things he says, he's like you. He's notorious for early mornings, getting shit done early in the morning. And he always does. He wakes up at like whatever, four or five, does a hard, intense, like fucking CrossFit workout or something. And then after he'll say, you know what? The hardest part of my day is done. Yeah. I, you know what? Anything from here on out is not as hard as an, an intense is what I just did. And to your point, I can leave my office at two, three, four, seven, eight. I did my workout. I can't be, you know, I can't get caught up in water cooler talk and go out for drinks. I can't, or, or no, like I, I have the opportunity. I can either go out to dinner with my wife. I can do this, this and that. But the hardest part of my day is now done. And it all comes back to, you know, discipline, holding yourself accountable, whatever it may be. So I think that's that's awesome, dude, what you're talking about with you and um, uh, your coworker about kind of, you know, texting each other in the morning. It also goes back to being competitive too. That's really what it's 100%. about. 100%. Well, you. let's I'm look at first. discipline, right? <laughs> yeah. Self-discipline. The best thing about that statement is the word self. Yeah. You have to discipline yourself. There's and no one holding a gun to your head saying, hey, get up and go work out. No. And you're always going to feel like it. Fuck no. Are you always going to feel like picking up the phone and making the calls? Hell Are you no. always going to feel like knocking the door? Are you right. always going to feel like doing what you have to do? No. But you have to do it. Successful people, you have to get things done. Right? Well, you got to separate yourself from everybody. Not If everybody was doing that, then there'd be no need for you know self-help podcasts or self-help books is everyone be at the peak of whatever they want to do. There's a great book it's called like Five Second 100%. Rule. Great yep. book called Five Second Rule. Essentially what it says is you need to – Whenever you don't feel like doing something, if you know you should do it, count backwards. Five, four, three, two, one. What that does is that you're not used to counting backwards. So it activates mm. your prefrontal cortex. That then gets you into a state of focus. When you're in a state of focus, you can take action. When you don't feel like doing something and you take action, that's a moment of massive power because you're breaking a habit. You are not a procrastinator. You may have a habit of procrastinating, but you're not a procrastinator. Yep. You can change that by taking action. So when you don't feel like doing something, look at what would my ideal self be doing right now? How would my ideal self do the things I'm about to do? And then go and fucking do them yeah. because that's what's going to get you to where you want to be. 100% man. Dude, that, that's what it's all about. You can be a master closer. You can be a master fucking whiz on the phone. Can you keep doing it, right? Can you do it consistently? Can you do it when you don't fucking feel like Consistency doing it? closes and allows you to close consistently. 100%. Dude, I love preach it. it. Let's, um, let's, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. Let's lighten this up a little bit. Actually, you know what? Fuck it. One last thing. Uh, touch on real quick. One thing I wanted to chop it up with you a little bit is about um, what, what, what do you like to do for personal development? Whether it be, are you a reader? Are you a podcast guy? Are you a... Um, Whatever it may be. A I'm not a reader. I'm okay. not going to lie to you. I'm Respect. surprised I even remember how. Even audiobooks? You know, I audiobook listen guy? to audiobooks. Yeah. I don't read though. I don't read. I uh, You can do more with an audiobook than a regular book. You can yeah. walk. You can fucking work. So out. most recently I've been listening to um, Jordan Belfort's Straight Line Persuasion. Yep. I recently listened to Jab, 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 Right Hook by Gary V. Yep. Crushing It and Crush It by Gary V. Um, 10x by Grant Cardone. Great, great, great book for yep. anybody in sales, not ones. just real estate. Yep. Um, five second rule. My favorite book of all time, once again, back to Jocko Willink, is Discipline, right? Discipline is mm. the key to freedom. And that book, coming from a person with his perspective, yeah, opened my eyes, right? And it really made me start taking accountability for things. It's really easy when something goes wrong to say, well, this person did it or that person did it, rather than I failed. Right. I should have done this, acknowledge it, 
learn from it and move the fuck forward, right? Yep. And people, me specifically with my massive ego back in the day, I never would have done that. At Best Fitness, when shit went wrong, I was the first one to be like, oh, well, he didn't do it. Yep. I'll get on him next time. Yeah. Now, I called myself out on team meeting two Fridays ago. You have to, man. An agent brought something up and I was like, you know what? That's my fault. I failed you. Yep. I'm going to fix the system and we'll make it better. And how important do you think that is in building culture? That is the culture. Yeah, 100%. It's, people follow what they see, the example that's set forth. And by owning that in front of them, yeah. now when they don't follow up, I had an agent this morning, 7 a.m. I'm at the gym. Yeah. Called him because I saw he hadn't touched the lead yet. And I was like, Matt, what's going on, dude? Right, right, right. Oh, I called him. I said, all right, great. You didn't put the notes in the real geeks in the CRM. You didn't schedule your follow-up. You didn't do a safe search. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. All right. Do it now. Get on it. Yeah. You know what he said to me? I fucked up. I failed. My bad. I'm going to do it right now. Perfect. So you're taking – so that's perfect, man, because what you're preaching from the top – or not preaching, what you're doing yourself from the top – is now trickling down to your team. So that is literally the definition of leadership and building culture now. 100%. Perfect. Um, dude, this this is fun. Man, this is a good one. I, I, I think we should probably uh, probably wrap it up, but we got to do this again, dude. We got to get you on a, uh, a Next time, we got to do one. I want to talk about sales skills with you. Yeah. I want to learn from you. Yep. I want to talk about skills. So here's the thing, dude. We can talk about... I, all right, here's the thing. I think what we talked about today is infinitely more valuable and more important than the actual skills. Because if you can't, like I said earlier, dude, it's all about, I, I wrote an article on, on riseupsales.com before about, I'm a big baseball fan, right? So we talk about like a five tool player, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, hitting for average, hitting for power, running, uh, fielding, and what's the last one? One more, doesn't matter. But there's five, there's five tools you have to be as a salesperson, right? Or five stages in the sales process. And you know, it starts with there's there's prospecting, there's presenting, there's the follow-up, there's the close, and then there's repeat. And repeat is by far the most important one. You could freaking knock a deal out of the park, hit a home run. Great. How are you gonna get up tomorrow morning and do the same fucking thing over again? Or how are you gonna make 50 phone calls, set zero appointments, and it's three o'clock and just keep grinding it out for another couple hours or three hours to get that next appointment? It's all about Dude, it's all about mindset. It's all about personality. Like you said earlier, people in this this industry you don't need a college degree. You don't even need a fucking high school. If you can read and speak English to the, or at least speak the same language of the person you're speaking with, you can probably do this. You right. know, if you have the intangible. Not successfully. No, but you can attempt it. <laughs> you can definitely attempt it. But yeah, dude, we'll get you on again. We'll dive a little uh, more in depth. But before before we get out today, I want to make sure. Um, you know, I'll let you give a second to talk about where can people uh, find you on social media and how do people get in touch with you now? Yeah, so you guys can find me. Uh, my personal page is public, Jason Posnick. Um, I post all the time and it's demolish the competition, be the top 1% real estate agent. We put a bunch of valuable little tidbits in there all the time. Um, I do Tom Ferry sales managers. I'm in groups in there. Those are actually closed, but I can let you in if you want. But my goal is to bring value to as many people as I can. So if you ever have questions, comments, concerns, you want to learn something, let me know and I'd love to help you. I'll leave you guys with one quote really quick. And what it is, is if you're in a management role, take this, listen to it, and take it to heart. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work. But rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And what that says to me is you can't lead people by directing, by telling them. You have to lead them by understanding their why, what their goals are, 
And then just like you would with a client in a sales engagement, you coach them through how you're going to get them there. And you need to hold them accountable, support them, be their biggest cheerleader, but also the first person to call them out when they screw up but in a positive way. But you can't just set an expectation and hope they hit it. You have to make them see the vision, buy into the vision, see themselves as a part of it, and then make it a reality. Perfect. So, hey, if you, you know, if you found value in this episode, make sure you please do me a favor and share it. Comment, like, wherever it is being posted. It'll be on Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, RiseUpSales.com. Please tag uh, anyone you work with or know that might find value in this episode as well. And more importantly, make sure you check in next week when we post, Jesus, episode five of the Rise Up Sales podcast. Uh, Jason, bro, thanks for taking some time to chop it up with me today. Dude, this was a blast. Dude, thank you. I appreciate it, man. This is awesome. We will see you guys soon.